0: When I retired with lots of newfound available time, I enjoyed many travel opportunities. This podcast may encourage you to visit, revisit, or experience virtual armchair travel, learning about exciting new venues. Travel is an excellent vehicle for lifelong learning. Welcome to the What Travel Writers Say podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host, and today we will explore America's version of Downton Abbey, the lavish Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. With 250 rooms, it's the largest privately owned house in the United States at 178,926 square feet. After the main gate entrance, we drive through beautiful woodlands for a full five kilometers just to approach the property. One anticipates a thrilling view, and we are not disappointed. George Washington Vanderbilt II, who was born in 1862 and died in 1914, was an art collector and member of the prominent Vanderbilt family which had amassed a huge fortune through steamboats, railroads, and various business enterprises. George was inspired by the mountain scenery and mild weather in 1888 on his first visit to western North Carolina. He built his country home in Asheville, hiring famed architect Richard Morris Hunt and landscaper Frederick Law Olmsted. Olmsted is considered to be the father of American landscape architecture. He was famous for co-designing many well-known urban parks with his senior partner, Calvert Vaux, including Central Park in New York City, the Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, and Elm Park in Worcester, Massachusetts, considered by many to be the first municipal park in America. The building was completed on Christmas Eve, 1895, and three years later, Vanderbilt brought his bride, Edith Stuyvesant Dresser, to Biltmore, and in 1900, their only child, Cornelia, was born here. Visiting VIP friends included writers Edith Wharton and Henry James, the Prince of Wales, and presidents William McKinley, Teddy Roosevelt, and Woodrow Wilson. Yes, indeed, the character of Downton Abbey's Violet, Dowager Countess of Grantham, played by Maggie Smith, would feel right at home here. First-time visitors underestimate the time it takes to tour the estate. We arrived early to see the house, gardens, Antler Hill Village, and the winery in one full day. The latter are located five miles from the house. We needed six busy hours to visit the major attractions and also have lunch. Self-touring the house just past the spacious entrance hall, inside the winter garden, a glass roof illuminates the center fountain sculpture. I slip inside the billiard room with its custom 1895 oak tables. The nearby banquet hall features a seven story high ceiling and Flemish tapestries from the mid 1500s. I stare in awe at the organ loft housing the massive 1916 Skinner pipe organ. A docent explains that the largest dinner here seated 38 people, but the family usually enjoyed a seven to eleven course meal. At a smaller table near the triple fireplaces. There are sixty-five fireplaces in total. The setting included fine linens, family silver and china, and five crystal wine glasses per person. They took their dining seriously. The music room displays rare porcelain and candlesticks from seventeen thirties made for Empress Maria Theresa Amalia of the Austrian Habsburgs. Vanderbilt roamed Europe to outfit his castle. The tapestry gallery, 90 foot long, is where guests enjoyed afternoon tea and music. In addition to Flemish tapestries from the 1530s, the art includes portraits by John Singer Sargent and Giovanni Boldini. The impressive library houses half of Vanderbilt's 23,000 volume collection and its ceiling features the Chariot of Aurora, painted in the 1720s by Italian artist Giovanni Pellegrini, originally in the Pisani Palace in Venice. I climbed the grand staircase in Downton Abbey, the domain of Lady Edith, Laura Carmichael, Lady Mary, Michael Dockery, and Lady Isabel, Penelope Wilton, and their parents. In Vanderbilt's bedroom, I imagine Robert Earl of Grantham, Hugh Bonneville, looking out the window at his vast estate. Here, his valet assisted him with his myriad outfits changed up to six times per day for horseback riding, tea, formal dinner, and such. One had to look one's best. Lady Sybil, Jessica Brown Finley, would occupy Mrs. Vanderbilt's bedroom with purple and gold silk fabrics and furnishings in the Louis XV style. I meander through more rooms. The damask room with silk draperies. The Claude room with prints by French painter Claude Lorraine. The Tyrolean chimney room with hand-painted 18th century Swiss porcelain tile over the mantel. The Louis XV room, where Edith gave birth to her daughter. The Louis XV bath, one of the house's 43 bathrooms, a rarity in 1895 when many homes did not have indoor plumbing. The bowling alley. Servants set the pins and rolled the balls back to the players. The swimming pool, a 70,000 gallons indoor pool heated with original underwater lighting and also the gymnasium one must keep fit for those seven to eleven course meals. In addition, there's a bachelor's wing, a smoking room for after-dinner cigars, pipes, and brandy, and finally a gun room in keeping with the U.S. Constitution and the right to bear arms. I marvel at the foundation walls, which extend 29 feet down and took two years to build. Finally, I explored the downstairs, the domains of the likes of the Stentorian butler, Mr. Carson, Jim Carter, and soft-hearted Mrs. Hughes, Phyllis Logan, who both organized the servants. There is more wandering through the innumerable subterranean serving rooms, the vegetable pantry, pastry kitchen with elaborate desserts, rotisserie kitchen to keep smoke and grease out of the other kitchens, Main kitchen, kitchen pantry with dumb waiters, walk-in refrigerators with large metal cans of milk from the estate's famous dairy cows, and I imagine both Daisy, Sophie McShira, and Mrs. Patmore, Leslie Nichol, happily working here. In the servants' dining room, I can envision Mrs. O'Brien, Siobhan Finneran, plotting with Thomas Rob James Collier, where 30 servants enjoyed three meals a day, Allowed two hours off daily, but still on call. Outside are the bountiful gardens, the library terrace, shaded by an arbor of wisteria and trumpet creeper vines. The Italian garden, classical statuary with three formal water gardens. The shrub garden, Olmsted's design included 500 varieties of ornamental shrubs, trees, and other plants the spring garden, walled garden, a four-acre formal garden, rose garden with 50 varieties, azalea garden, and conservatory, glass roofed with exotic orchids, ferns, and palms, and a bass pond with a rustic boathouse. Wow. After Vanderbilt's sudden death at 52 in 1914, following an emergency appendectomy, his wife Edith managed the estate. In 1924, Cornelia married the Honorable John Francis Amherst Cecil. They lived here, but like many British aristocrats, burdened by costs, the Cecils opened Biltmore House to the public in 1930. The house and grounds have been used to film many movies, including one of my favorites, Being There, starring Peter Sellers in the ultimate spoof on the issue of chance, power, and U.S. politics. Besides the 75 acres of formal gardens, the extensive grounds include a winery, where we purchased several bottles, and the Inn on Biltmore Estate, an AAA four-diamond, 210-room hotel, where we stayed the night. The village includes the Outdoor Adventure Center, Creamery, Cedric's Tavern, where we ate, and the Biltmore Legacy, a museum that highlights the time of the Vanderbilts. The previous night in Asheville, we stayed at the comfortable Renaissance Asheville Hotel, with recently completed renovations and in a great location, convenient for exploring the downtown. But tonight, amidst the rolling hills at dusk at the superb inn with its valet parking, I enjoy the same panoramic view that Mr. Vanderbilt once experienced, albeit from a slightly more modest abode. To read my travel articles, go to my website at www.whattravelwriterssay.com. And for travel pictures, go to my Pinterest boards at www.pinterest.com backslash Mustang6648. If you have any questions or comments, contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. We conclude each podcast with an appropriate travel quote. Today, it's from American public speaking coach and author Ben Gay III, who said, No amount of travel on the wrong road will bring you to the right destination. Thanks for listening. Happy travels, and tune in again next week for another What Travel Writers Say podcast.